The Holy Gospel according to Luke in the 23rd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When they came to the place called the Skull, they nailed the hands and feet of Creator sets free, Jesus, to a tree pole, the cross. They did the same for the two criminals, putting one on each side of him. Father, forgive them, Creator sets free, Jesus cried out. They do not know what they're doing. The soldiers divided up his garments and gambled for them by drawing straws. The people watched as the spiritual leaders mocked him. He set others free, they said. Why can he not set not free himself if he is creator's chosen one? The soldiers offered creator sets free. Jesus, wine mixed with bitter herbs and mocked him. If you are the great chief of the tribes, they laughed, then set yourself free. Above his head, carved above the crossbeam, were the words in three languages, This is the chief of the tribes of wrestles with Creator. One of the thieves next to him spewed out angry words, If you are the chosen one, save yourself and us. Then the other thief spoke up and said, Have you no fear or respect for the Great Spirit? We are guilty and suffering for our own wrongdoings, but this man has done nothing wrong. The man turned to the Creator, to Creator sets free, and said to him, Honored one, remember me when you come into, your, into the power of your good road. Creator sets free, Jesus looked at the man and said, Listen closely, before the sun sets today, you will walk with me in the beautiful garden. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. And let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and our minds this morning be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It seems to me that as the days are getting colder, life is accelerating rather than slowing down. Seasonal travel, meals, and planning are added to our already full schedules. Schools are anticipating breaks, but also plow forward toward the end of the semester with finals and with grades. And it all makes me wonder what a pie chart of my time, or maybe yours, would actually look like. How much of it would be devoted to work? Or if you're retired, how much of it used to be devoted to work? What percentage goes to family or to friends? What percentage is spent on all of the things you have to do? Like paying bills, caring for the house, doing laundry, dealing with the snow, or getting the car serviced? If I think about it as a pie graph, most of the pie is used up by then. And in the thin sliver that's left, we try to cram exercise, recreation, reading, Netflix or Hulu or whatever it is we're trying to stream these days, the arts, volunteerism, all the other things we care about. We live complicated lives. We're busy people. There are many demands on each and every one of us, and the demands are not just for our time. Every piece of the pie also wants a portion of our hearts. And that leaves us with divided hearts. A large portion is dedicated to becoming successful at work or school, but another portion is determined to be a success in relationships. 
The more of your heart that goes to one of these portions, the less room there is left for the other. Still another part of the heart is sincere about following Jesus, wants to make a difference in the lives of those in need in our world, and wants deeply to know God through a devotional life and spiritual growth. But like the pie chart, we're confronting what is essentially a math problem. There just isn't much room left over when we add it all up. And when we're with each part of our heart, we tell it that we are completely devoted to it. We tell our most cherished relationship that nothing is more important than they are in our lives. I'll make you happy, we assure them. Yet we also tell our supervisors and our professors that they can count on us to do whatever it takes to succeed. Then we come to church and say, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And if you believe one of those statements, then how do you make sense of the other two? If no one is more important than your friends and family, then neither is God. If it's up to you to make it happen at work or to make your loved ones happy, then you don't believe in God as the true maker. To be fair, in the busyness, this is why most of us avoid trying to integrate our lives. It's easier to just live with the compartments of our divided hearts. But it's this compartmentalization of life that's responsible for our failures with integrity. It's why a Senate candidate in Georgia can profess one thing and then be called out multiple times for doing something completely different with his own relationships. There's been a difference between the private and public parts of that leader's life. It's why aggressive people at work come to church to proclaim belief in the grace of God. They maintain a categorical distinction between the secular and the sacred parts of their lives. And it's why good and kind people still want their own financial interests to be their political representative's priority. They never confuse their notions of charity with public policy. Each of these compartments to life has a different Lord, which means they also have a different set of rules. And, for example, in the workplace, you have to be aggressive, but not at home or at church. In those places, we strive for kindness and love, but we're generally afraid that we won't get far at work with that thing, that kind of stuff. And this means that when we move from one compartment of life to another, we're entering a different world where we're different people. And after a while, our souls get worn out by this, and the walls of the compartments break down, and that's why maybe you lost your cool this week at someone for whom you were supposed to be kind and loving. We all do it. The Oxford English Dictionary offers two different definitions of integrity. The first claims that it refers to that which is undivided, unbroken, not mixed, and is structurally sound. Thus, we speak of a bridge having structural integrity so it will stand. Its supports are solid and all contribute to one purpose. The second definition claims that integrity is about having sound moral virtue. When it comes to people, we assume that it's the second definition that applies. But actually, it's both that apply. Because you cannot be morally virtuous if you are divided, mixed, or compartmentalized. The word integrity is a derivative of the word integration. Having integrity doesn't mean that we have climbed to some pinnacle of purity. It simply means that we've found an integrating virtue to all of life. 
In the words of the theologian and philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, to have a pure heart means to will one thing. But with life pulling us in so many conflicting directions where the rules keep changing and success is measured so differently, how can we will one thing? Well, as every Sunday school child knows, the answer is always Jesus. But we have to be careful with that because Jesus is the one who called you to live and to work in worlds whose values are in total conflict. He sends you into the marketplace and academies where success is measured in performance, and he's the one who sends you back home where success is measured in love. He calls you to carry the pathos, the weight of the world in your heart, and from the Gospels, it's also clear that he expects his disciples to enjoy a wedding reception. He calls you to take care of your life as a good steward, and he also calls you to give it away and lose it. How can you do all of that well? You can't. The Christian life is not a goal trying, trying very hard to live the Christian life on your own will not integrate life. In fact, it only adds religious conflicts to the busyness and messiness that you're already working with. But that's not the one thing Kierkegaard was calling us to seek. He wasn't telling us to try harder to have integrity. He was telling us to seek the only person who does. Jesus. He's the one thing we seek in all things. As the author of Colossians explains in the passage we heard this morning, in Jesus Christ all things in heaven and on earth were created. In him all things hold together, not just church things or things at home, but all things. Even the things that are about profit and performance. Not just the things that we've done well and are proud to place in God's hands, but the things that we're even ashamed of. Not just the things we don't control, but even the things we do control, which for some of us might actually be harder. All things hold together in Christ. In the five verses at the start of the reading, the author uses the phrase all things five times, so you cannot miss the point. You cannot say, but not my addicted son, it's too late, or but not Congress, there's no way. All things. You cannot say, but not Russia or Afghanistan, not Italy after electing a strange fascist government. All things includes everything. In the words of the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper, there is not one inch of the world that Christ does not claim, saying, that is mine, that belongs to me. This doesn't mean that the world looks like it belongs to Christ or that all people have to wear the label of Christian. It just means that God who is with us in Jesus Christ can be found in all things. He holds together what we cannot. The center of a life that pulls in conflicting directions is Jesus Christ. He's our integrating virtue. Creator sets free, does what we cannot do ourselves. The Lord of hosts is with us. And the reason that we come to church is not to find sanctuary from the other compartments of the heart, but 
to be able to renew our vision of Jesus that we might recognize him when he makes his surprising appearances in all things. That he's at the dinner party, the birth of a child, that first kiss. He's in the workplace, the divided home, the ICU, the relationship conflicts and battlegrounds in the Ukraine, everywhere. And what he's doing is holding heaven and earth together. Integrity means seeking the one thing that can be found in all things. It's how we survive grief. Believing Jesus Christ is there in the darkest hour when the news tells us of another shooting, when a phone call sends our hearts plummeting. Christ is there. It's how we show compassion and love our enemies, believing that Jesus, creator, sets free, is with those who have caused harm, broken trust, and whom we would rather hate than love. Jesus is with every person, every moment, in the joy, in the sorrow, offering grace in a garden when he's tortured and dying. As we heard in Luke, Christ is present even in the moment it would be easiest for him not to be. Jesus is not the cause of all things, but he can be found within them. Found in all the unjust, confusing, and conflicted things of your life. Found in the stresses of the season, in the busyness and the messiness. Found in the scattered and the gathered. You have to believe that. You must, I must, because we will never be able to hold it together by ourselves. And why would we want to live with compartments when we can have a center that holds all things? Amen.